This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. In the first five years, it paid for itself. So, you know, when you're a farmer and you actually have a five-year payback period, that's pretty fantastic. So since the last five years, it just ticks over, makes a nice little income. It's not, you know, it's enough to go on holidays, that's about it. But the benefits have been that we, it then pushed us into a whole lot of learning that now will assist us to move forward. That was New South Wales wine grower Justin Jarrett. And he's talking about his decision some time ago now to source his power requirements from the sun. And we'll hear more from Justin and fellow wine grower Paul Squires in a moment. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. When investors are looking for suitable land on which to build a big solar farm, they want two things, a location near the grid to plug into and relatively flat ground to site their panels. For farmers wanting to grab their own slice of energy from the sun, the options are wider. According to the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, more than 2 million Australian households now have rooftop solar, with a combined capacity exceeding 10 gigawatts of power. Large-scale solar farms are also rapidly growing in number. The official figures tell us that at the end of 2018, solar farms were generating more than 1.8 gigawatts, equivalent to a medium-sized coal-fired power station. But that number has continued to climb, with dozens more large-scale farms coming online, around 60 expected in 2019. All Up Energy Australia says that renewable energy like wind, solar and hydro right now provides 21% of Australia's electricity supply. There are great examples of farmers saving sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars by converting to renewable energy systems. Major beneficiaries seem to be irrigators saving on diesel, dairy sheds for heating water and cooling milk, fruit packing and cold storage facilities and wineries where refrigeration and tank storage account for up to 70% of energy consumption in a winery. Recently, I spent the day at the National Renewables in Agriculture Conference at Dubbo in western New South Wales, where AgriFutures Australia was a sponsor and where I got the chance to talk to a number of people who don't need to be convinced that renewable energy is a great fit for them. I sat down with two grape growers from different parts of the country, Paul Squires from Squires Winery down on the Murray River and Justin Jarrett from the Seesaw Winery in central west New South Wales, which produces organic and vegan-friendly wines. Where do you farm, Justin? Chris, I'm a grape grower, winemaker and sheep farmer from Orange in New South Wales. And how much country have you got there? We've got about 1,500 acres, which is 175 hectares of vineyard and we run 1,200 Dorper ewes. Paul, what about you? Where do you come from? I'm from a small area called Bundalong, just on the New South Wales-Victorian border, just out of Albury, between Yarrawonga and Albury. Oh, that's nice country down there on the flats. Yeah, we've lovely area. We've got 800 metres of waterfront that runs along the Ovens River. So, Okay, and what do you grow? I grow grapes as well, but a much smaller amount. I've only got 25 acres, so about 7,500 vines. And we've also got 3,500 olive trees, and I do a small amount of broad acre farming. The other thing you didn't mention that you grow is the sun. You grow the sun as well, don't you? We do, Chris. That's an interesting way of putting it. When you think about it, all agriculture is sun-based. 
but uh, yeah, we convert all our products convert sun to a product, and we also have solar cells that convert sun to power. Well, tell me about the solar setup because that's really what we're here to talk about. So we have three 10 kilowatt systems on each farm which in relative terms are small compared to what we've heard about today, but they've been a great experiment for us to, to get into the solar, to work out how it works, to find out some of the pitfalls. And over the last five years, those three 10 kilowatt systems have produced roughly 25% of our power requirement. 25% of your power requirement, is that on farm, through your house, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a, that's total power requirement for, for the business, houses, winery, etc. And what about you, Paul? How big is your solar system? Yeah, mine's a 100 kilowatt system. It's a dual axis bifacial system, which means it's got solar panels on both sides, and the dual axis allows it to track the sun right through the day. So it's about 60% more efficient than a sitting on the ground standalone system. And that does actually cover all my requirements for the house, the winery, and the cellar door. And you sell back to the grid? Yeah, the, the excess does go back to the grid, yes, and I only use about 14% at the moment. That'll probably lift to about 18 to 19% once I've got a, a bigger winery. My scenario is a little different. We were a, a demonstration site for this new technology for the company that I've been working with throughout this process, and so they sell the excess back to the grid, and I use the, the amount that I need. So, Justin, what is the setup you've actually got in terms of your solar panels? How much area do they take up? Paint me a picture there. When we installed them, be 10 years ago now, Kabon Council required a massive slab of concrete to support the panels. So we have a 3 metre by, I think it was 12 or 14 metre, 6 inch, 150 mil slab of concrete and the solar panels sit on top of those. They're then connected back to an inverter. In two cases they're single phase inverters. In one of those we put a three phase inverter so we get three phase power out of it and then from there that's connected back to the grid or in one case there is also a ball that runs directly from them before it goes back into the grid. The concrete slab I suppose they didn't want it to go anywhere, didn't want it to blow away. I think in those days they were highly concerned that they'd sail across the paddock one day when the, obviously as panels get old you have to replace them and they also as they get old as we go to replace them the concrete slab will do a much bigger system because panels have not only have they got more efficient but they've got smaller to gain that so we've got a good bomb shelter ready to go off. And what sort of ground are they covering? I mean is it good productive agricultural land? No in each, each case we located areas that we weren't using for farming at all or just if we were they were just for grazing so the problem always is you've got to try to have your solar cells close enough to a power pole and so you have as least drop away as you can and that may well be in the middle of your best paddock but in our case we were fortunate that the where the meters were and where the power poles were were generally in we could line up areas that were unproductive agricultural land. Paul it's hard to imagine there's any unproductive land where you are where have you got yours? Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? But mine are off the ground, 50 metres by 20 metres area they take up. So in the old units, 1,000 square metres, so about a quarter of an acre. And you're able to graze underneath them quite easily. And in fact, that's probably the main thing that is done now for this type of system. But it is, once again, only a quarter of an acre. So I'm not having to trade that prime agricultural land if I don't want to. At the same time, usually, as Justin said, the location is somewhere close to either where you're using the power or to a power pole or more importantly to a transformer and as such that's not usually where you're doing any sort of broad acre farming so 
on any farm of over sort of 10 or 15 acres, you're going to have patches of land of quarter of an acre that are less valuable or less use than others, particularly if they're close to your house. How far off the ground are they? Mine are about three metres off the ground and, and because they're dual axis, they virtually go vertical. So at some stages, they can be only a metre off the ground and when they're flat and horizontal, they're nearly three metres off the ground. Okay, so that would allow... Well, sheep, I suppose. What we do find is that the sheep gravitate very quickly to the solar panel area because it provides instant shade. So if you haven't got, for example, a lot of trees in a paddock, or my area, they gravitate to it very quickly. One of the things that I notice, you know, like if I'm I'm mowing the lawn or something like that, if there's a bit of garden furniture out that's providing a bit of shade to a, a spot of grass, that grass grows more actively. Does the grass grow actively underneath these solar panels? Yeah, it's one of the considerations we've been talking about today, actually, is what can you grow under them? And my experience is that, and we've tried, we haven't tried anything on a commercial scale at all, but if you put things under them, they seem to grow quite well. You get a level of shade, but on ours, you get reflected light as well. So it seems to be quite a good area to grow, and the grass under it, and particularly the weeds, I seem to be constantly mowing large weeds under the, they grow quite well. So Justin, what's your future in solar? You're not at capacity at the moment. Are you going to change your system go for these panels that are above the ground? We're certainly working on a new 31 kilowatt system for the winery. At the moment we have a 100 metre by 12 metre shed and a roof that's perfectly facing north so it's probably unlikely that we will put them back on the ground this time. When we look at our irrigation system we would love to have all our pumps running on solar but we just don't use them often enough so we actually are looking at what's called a transportable battery system so you'll have a solar bank somewhere on the farm charging batteries and when you need to irrigate we'll shift the batteries and when we don't irrigate we'll be able to shift the batteries back to the winery or something like that for other use. Certainly my neighbour's got the solar tracking ones in the middle of his paddock and the sheep love them and it's all you know that's definitely the way to go if you don't have access to a big roof line like we do. Look, I want to ask you guys about, I suppose, give a little bit of advice or some tips to farmers who maybe don't have solar on their farms at all at the moment. What do you think, Paul, should be their first step? I think the first step is to do something like this. Come and get as much information as you can from people like Justin who've been there and done it. Gather as much information around what's available. Talk to as many people who have done it before talk to as many reputable suppliers as you can to get options because as Justin's pointed out the best option for you might be a totally different option for somebody else depending on what infrastructure you've got available and what use you want to use so first of all set your parameters around what are you trying to achieve and one of the highlights of this morning I think was Justin who's at Seesaw Wines has got a very good vision around what he's trying to achieve for the winery as a whole in terms of its sustainability and its environmental impact. If you have that strategic plan first, then you're much better able to marry that up with your requirements. Are there any beginner's mistakes that you could sort of advise for people to avoid? You are smiling, so I take it there are. (laughs) Yeah, I I think all the things I just told you to do, I didn't do. And I probably went in a little blind. It hasn't worked out badly, but in fact it's worked out well. But I would have rather known some things before I got to them rather than in the middle of the process. Okay, Justin, what did you learn afterwards? It's all about planning. And in the end of the day, we jumped in because we wanted to embrace another form of power and we wanted to get out of the coal system as soon as possible. But what I would say, our learning has been, go right back to what are you trying to achieve? And one of the things about solar is that 
the best place to link it is with manufacturing or irrigation that works during the day. And if you're doing it to put back in the grid, that's great, but make sure that's the business reason you're doing it. If you're doing it because you want cheaper power for your business, make sure that your power usage is not at night time where it doesn't work. And so lining it all up is quite difficult. The next thing is once you've got an idea of what you want to do yourself, you've got to go then check with the authorities that is, if you want to stay on the grid or you want to put that power back in the grid, 10 years ago, no one worried about that. We just all went, plugged it back in, and everyone seemed to be very happy now because of the increase in solar across Australia. There are now restrictions on what you can do, and therefore don't think I'm going to put in a 100-kilowatt system and then get very disappointed when essential energy or country energy say to you, we don't want that power here. In fact, you can put in 10 kilowatts and you go, well, that's not, that doesn't make my business case at all. So you've got to do that planning these days. It's got to be sensible. Finally, don't waste money on cheap panels. Buy excellent panels from good companies because all my mates that have got the cheaper panels have replaced them after 10 years. We went and spent the extra dollars and we, you know, they're still going fantastically. But also realise that don't be upset when technology changes. So you're going to put something in and it's going to give you 25 years of power, but don't be upset when you read the next day that half the size solar cells are going to give you twice as much power. Because I always say to people when they say to me, oh, I don't want to do it because, you know, it's always getting cheap. And I go, right, well, so you're still using your calculator? I went, what do you mean? Well, you obviously didn't want to buy a computer because when we first bought them, a laptop was five grand, now they're 900 bucks. So you've just got to get onto it and get into it. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's something that people are considering now that's a a real issue for them, that I'll just wait a little while longer? Uh, Yeah, certainly even in my own case, I've been looking at batteries and and going through the same process. And, uh, you know, the computer example that Justin gave is the perfect one. We're not all sitting around. I've got got an iPad here today and not a laptop. Made a small investment in that. So for my next one, it's about batteries. And I know that in two years I'll look back and go, I could have got a bigger battery, could have got a better battery, etc. But over that two-year period, I'll save a lot of money in terms of the overnight capacity and being able to do things differently. And you've just got to accept that sometimes things go down as... Sometimes the cases they go up as well. What do you think, uh, you know, have been the financial benefits for you, Justin? In the first five years, it paid for itself. So, you know, when you're a farmer and you actually have a five-year payback period, that's pretty fantastic. So since the last five years, it just ticks over, makes a nice little income. It's not, you know, it's enough to go on holidays. That's about it. But the benefits have been that we it then pushed us into a whole lot of learning that now will assist us to move forward. So even though we learnt that you just can't plug into a grid. We learnt that you needed these metres. You need a North Seth metre, you need this metre. And we've, so we've learnt a great deal about our power requirement for the farms and our businesses, and that is now valuable to move us forward. Yeah, I suppose you're really up on the knowledge. So as the industry develops, you're already in front from that point of view. Yeah, look, there's no doubt, but it's developing at a, such a fast rate that it's impossible. We've, we've heard some professionals here today who are in the business 24 hours a day and work professionally in it, and whereas people like Justin and I sort of do farming as well. So it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with the advances in the technology and the requirements and the legislative changes and the input changes and the output changes. At the end of the day, as I said before, you've got to understand what your objective is. And my objective was always fairly clear. I needed to bring down what was going to be quite substantial costs in order to make my business even remotely competitive and also not to have you know, massive bill fright at the, every, at the end of every month. 
So we've been able to achieve that. You know, we, we have to be vigilant about things like connection fee increases and increases in tax and inputs and changes to wholesale rates, etc. So keeping up with some of that is both difficult and challenging, but at the same time, it's been very beneficial for me. Justin, does it add to a good, solid environmental reputation for your winery? It certainly does, Chris. I mean, when you think about who you want to buy a product from, and I always say that climate change and plastics and all the issues that we face as a human race, the single biggest person that can influence the change is a consumer. And so what we want to tell our consumer is we are doing what we can to make it better. And if you say to people, I'm trying to be sustainable and you don't have a solar story or a hydrogen story or something like that, it's greenwash, you're just making it up. So you've got to really be able to say, not only hit, you know, like we have, we record all our electricity, we declare what we use, and we're saying this is where we're going to be by 2030. And therefore, when the consumer buys our product, they will know that we're honestly doing what we can. And it's not only, you know, it's in our soil health, it's in our plant health, it's in our staff health, it's for the amount of carbon, the amount of waste, etc., etc., that we're working on, because that will drive our consumers, who we want to make connection with, to buy our product not only once, but twice, three times, four times, which is what you want. And Paul, do you also use it as a marketing tool, I suppose? Yeah, certainly it's part of our strategy to use it significantly as part of our marketing tool. We are not as far down the path at Squires Winery as Seesaw is in terms of the brand recognition, the brand development, um, obviously in terms of size as well. As a boutique winery and as wineries in general, we're all, always looking for some sort of competitive advantage something that consumers want to take up and that's probably even more important in a boutique level than it is at, at large scale levels because our cost structures are much higher. So if you can tell a story that is backed up by fact and, and action to your consumer and the end product is a, a great product then I think that substantially assists in your brand management and therefore your bottom line. There are lots of resources online that you can access and as Paul and Justin say, make sure you are getting your information from good, trusted sources. Also have a look at the Clean Energy Finance Corporation website and in particular their asset finance programs with major banks and lenders for agribusiness. And the Australian Government's website, energy.gov.au, is another great place to start this journey with some good ideas and links to further information. Thanks for listening today. If you're enjoying AgriFutures on air, then follow us. And you can do that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that way, you can make sure you don't miss a program. I'm Chris Brown. You've been listening to AgriFutures on air, a weekly podcast brought to you by AgriFutures Australia.